Welcome to the Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hillary and Bill. Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people. Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. snippet from an album called The Stable Genius. Uh, we've arrived back today in California uh, with an interview with a wonderfully gifted musician, uh, but he actually wanted to be a human rights activist at the United Nations. Then right before entering college, his love for music and particularly jazz changed his career course. So in 2019, he released an album called The Very Stable Genius on Arenda Records. His music was described as popping bass lines, sustained the animated unison melodies that precede the improvisations. The album then received an A minus grade from jazztrail.net. I met this amazing musician and composer in Reno, Nevada, while we were both there pursuing music degrees. Um, while miles may separate us, his music is amazing and inspiring. He has an immense talent and skill that I haven't heard from many others. The only fault I can find in this man is his support for the World Series champions, Dodgers. Uh, but we can't all be perfect. So please, <laughs> so please welcome uh, Brian McAllister. Thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks for being on. It's so good, like I said, to see you again. And it's been a good, what, three or four years now since we've seen each other. So yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. So first off, let's just get some basic background information. Like where were you born? What were early years like? Uh, stuff like that. Social security number. Yeah, yeah. Height, weight, you know, and yeah. your mother's uh, birth date, that'd be good too. Height, too short, weight, too fat. <laughs> mother's maiden name is Branch. Um, like a Mailing address? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was born in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Uh, I was born there in 1989. And I lived there until the late 90s. And then I moved to the Sacramento area and uh, lived there for a number of years uh, before pursuing music down in Los Angeles, um, getting my undergraduate degree at California State University, Northridge. Um, and then I was working on cruise ships for a while and, uh, and then came back to Sacramento because I was... The whole time I was on ships, I was dating this woman who is now uh, stuck with me for a long time. <laughs> my first wife, as I call her. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so I, I wanted to give that some time. So I moved back to Sacramento for about a year. And uh, then we moved together to Reno. And uh, now I'm back in LA because a lot of people move to Reno and some move out and some don't. And <laughs> And Bill and I definitely uh, got out at one point or another, but uh, yeah, well, I'm back in uh, 
in Linnell, Long Beach, California. Very cool. Right on. Yeah, cruise ships, huh, man? Yeah. Well, we we entered someone interviewed someone who just did cruise ships, and that was just like. Was it Rob? Yeah, I think yeah, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob Deemer. Yeah, he did it for a year. How long did you do? I did four contracts, but two of them were shorter than normal. So usually a contract would be about six to eight months. Holy cow! And I did a, I did about two six month contracts and two three month contracts. Wow! Over about eighteen months at sea. Dang! <laughs> it was fun. I I went to I I went to I think it was like twenty nine countries. Wow. Before I was like 25. That's oh awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. A cool experience. And got to play music, you know, three sets a night for for 18 months. Gets you a lot of experience. So yeah. That's, Holy cow. That's definitely valuable. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I thought about that kind of stuff when I was younger, you know, but then I was always worried like, oh, I'm going to get seasick. I just, I can't deal with, you know. <laughs> for sure. I, I definitely like, it would have been something that I would have thought about doing and then never done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I had to drop out of school before my senior year of college. Uh, Cause I couldn't afford mm-hmm. it anymore. And uh, I was dating someone who was uh, working at subway and she was like an assistant manager of a subway. And she was like, I can get you a job. Just move back to my area, like Northern California. I don't know why I always date people from my hometown, but uh, <laughs> hey, it worked. Uh, hey, yeah, it worked out in the end. But uh, but uh, I was dating someone from up there, and she was like, "Hey, come and and uh, and I'll get you a job at Subway, and you can work at Subway." And I was going to work for the year and then go back to school, and then uh, I found an ad on Craigslist. There was a band that had lined up a cruise ship gig, and their piano player had to drop out for like medical reasons. And the gig was upcoming and I just, it, I got, I got so lucky. It's not even funny. Cause I know people that auditioned and did all this and that for years trying to get a cruise ship job and, oh, wow. and were good players, but they just couldn't, nothing lined up, you know? Wow. And I got super lucky cause I saw the ad on Craigslist on a Sunday night at like midnight. And I sent an email and I said, Hey, are, is this still open? Cause it had been posted like a week before. Uh-huh. And, uh, the person emailed back in the morning early. And, um, and so when I woke up, I had an email back saying, yeah, it's still open. You know, I'll record something and I'll, and I'll listen to it. And I texted my, uh, a friend of mine is a bass player and my roommate was a drummer. And I said, Hey, let's go to this, this room and on campus and record some tunes real quick for about 20 minutes. And I'll buy you each a, a 12 pack of beer. <laughs> and, uh, and we did and uh, yeah, beer, yeah. yeah and uh we, we played like three tunes on my zoom recorder and then i put the zoom i put the little thing in my laptop and i i took the tracks off and i cleaned them up real quick and i i sent them off and and uh i had it turned in by noon and wow uh, i had the gig by 2 p.m wow and that's then, cool oh, life changing <laughs> yeah totally totally yeah so Holy cow. very lucky that is so cool yeah that, it's amazing how quick those things can kind of come together when things align man yeah totally. when it's right and that's what you're meant to be like bam <laughs> and and some i mean i worked with a lot of great people on cruise ships i'm i'm not trying to say otherwise but uh i you know the the level of musicianship is not always guaranteed on right 
and uh, and the band that I had auditioned for was actually based out of Nashville. Oh wow! And the singer is amazing. Her name is Dara Tucker. She did one contract on ships, and then she went off. I think two days after we got off the ship, she was playing at the Blue Note in New York City, and wow. she has famous musicians on her records. And she she wrote a tune that won a Grammy last year. And wow! Wow! And so I got oh, this amazing baby. opportunity. It was it was totally cool. So I got super yeah. super lucky ten times over. So. That was nice. Very cool. Twenty two awesome. was perfect timing. It was great. That's yeah. awesome. That's such a good age to do that. Yeah, and exactly. We contemplated like doing an airline job where it's like you go set up new airports, and I would have been just like never home. And it was like the, that magic age of like twenty three, twenty four. You're like, I think I can get away with this, and then like I ended up not doing it. <laughs> totally. Every day of my life, truly, every day of my life, I miss cruise ships. And wow. every day of my, at least of my 30s, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I'm not on a ship. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, COVID aside, like, oh, God, yeah. COVID and all that. Um, yeah. But even before that, I'm just like, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. But I'm so yeah. glad I did it. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how did you, so you said you wanted to be a human rights activist. Like, how did you go from that to music? <laughs> uh, well, I didn't. Um, I, I like to think that I didn't change away from that. I just added to it mm-hmm. um, yeah. in that I decided that I, I was, I was going through high school uh, with this desire to go work for the United Nations as a lawyer um, working on cases for immigration and things like that, because mm-hmm. I care very much about the struggles of people in the world. And uh and at a certain point, I realized that um, if I left certain things uh, undiscovered in my in my life, as far as music, as far as art, as mm-hmm. far as other things like that, that I, I didn't feel like I could give my best to whatever causes I was working towards. Wow. Um, and I kind of had this moment where I decided I wanted to be a jazz musician. And uh, I was really a violist at the time. Wow. And, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, and, and I had been pretty serious about it in my teen years, but I, I had kind of come to the end of my high school time thinking that that wasn't a path for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when I decided to play jazz, I was kind of like, well, I played drums in my high school pep band. Maybe I could be a jazz drummer. I can play some notes on the piano. I can play a few little things on the piano. So mm-hmm. I had taken some lessons here and there. There were looking back on them um, the piano teacher was great but um i was there more for music theory than i was for actual piano mm-hmm. um and so I, I just had to kind of decide to become a piano player and uh that was about six months before i graduated from high school and uh wow. it was kind of a right turn right and, uh, but yeah i i felt like i uh i was adding to the things that i wanted to do in my life not not taking away one in favor of the other in the sense that I I have continued to be active in in community organizing and different things like that and and being involved with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that um, that I care very much about and wanting to use my heterosis white male middle class check every box privilege uh, (laughs) life um, for helping other people Um, but this exploration of black music um, and improvisational music in general 
um, was something that I cared very much about. And if I didn't explore it at that time in my life, I didn't feel like I would ever get to that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I kind of tried to think about where I would be at 30 or 40 and, and, uh, and I kind of saw myself, if I was going to go down this path of being a lawyer for the United Nations that I was kind of dreaming of, um, I didn't see a life where I was making music or anything like that. So right. I had to kind of adjust. Yeah. And so it, it has come with a lot of guilt over the years, but I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that I can be involved in both and, and just by being genuine with what I do, you know, hopefully I can still be impactful. Oh, absolutely. And I think music's one of those goofy things. I had a similar, you know, um, crisis. I don't know quite how to call it. I'll just call it crisis Mm -hmm. where I I went into engineering and, and like six months into that, I was like, Oh my God, like, I don't, I gotta have music somewhere. Like it's gotta be, I'm going to regret this the rest of my life. if I don't start pursuing this now. And yeah, that's the, mm-hmm. it's the ache in that heart that, but it's like, I mean, I, that was 10 years ago and I'm like, oh, thank God I like chose yeah. that. <laughs> I'll weave my way back into, because originally I wanted to do environmental engineering. I'm like, I'll weave my way back to helping the environment somehow. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. You got to do what is inside of you regardless of, you know, other things. And yeah. I, I think just trust that there are people for those jobs that you may be not having that there are people for those jobs absolutely i know one of the big things for me was like i'm not gonna be any good if i'm pissed off every day (laughs) totally that's it that's it yeah totally there's a another engineer for that that's happy to be there that i'm not so (laughs) absolutely definitely yeah so you started doing jazz piano late high school and then like i remember in at reno man you were just tearing it apart like (laughs) it was so different recollection of that. But. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I see Reno as the time where uh, and through and, and I don't mean this in such a negative, so it's not anybody's fault or anything. Certainly, great instruction up there and and great teachers and great community up there, great players and things. But I see Reno as the time in my life where I've been the farthest away from being a piano player. Oh, okay. Um, I I. I that's just kind of the path I think I've been on, but um, yeah, I uh, started at the end of high school and I had, I graduated six months early. So it was the fall semester that I was a senior in high school and uh, my senior project that I had to do uh, was that I was going to learn enough piano to put on a concert mm. and then we were going to, and this is where the human rights and uh, other aspirations come into play is, is uh, I decided that I wanted to raise money for post-Katrina relief. Oh, very um, cool. And this was a couple years later. That was, this was 2006. But, mm. uh, but uh, I wanted to do something for musicians affected by Katrina. Um, so, and because this is black music and, and all the rest, you know, I think it's important to definitely look at where it came from and, and New Orleans is certainly a huge part of that. Um, and so uh, we did a concert where we, our goal was to, I was, my goal was to learn enough piano to be able to play some standards and put together a little concert and get a band together and all that. And then raise $300 was the goal. And I think we raised like 
close to a thousand and and did the concert oh. and you know it was just you know i didn't donate the money so i i don't <laughs> you know i can't take credit for that but it was a cool thing to to see some support for this idea that i had and and all the rest and that kind of was the start of it and then uh, i auditioned for uh cal state northridge was where my parents went to school and they said good things about it so i didn't really know where i was going so i auditioned there and by the time i had checked out the program there i knew of it and knew that it was a really world-class jazz program um so i auditioned there and didn't get in and uh took a year and went to junior college and basically just took nothing classes and just practiced and uh worked at starbucks and then uh <laughs> and then uh re-auditioned and got in i don't know how because i didn't definitely wasn't ready that next year or later either but <laughs> Uh, and then I went in as a freshman so that I could get four years of lessons and, yeah. and started there. So I actually was a year behind by the time I started school, but had left high school a year early or six months early. But uh, it was a good time because it was, it was, it allowed me, I took my time in my late teens and early twenties to, to, to be a piano player. And mm -hmm. that's what I, that's what I was in my identity. And that's what I was in my day-to-day -day life. And, and all the rest and then i wound up working on ships and then going back to school graduating working on ships some more um i was very i'm a piano player and then uh went to reno and said what is art <laughs> <laughs> uh, am i a performance artist am i a yeah. piano player am i a guy who makes noise on a piano you know and, uh, and that's a whole other thing the whole divorce from being a piano player but um but really, yeah, that was that was kind of the path was like very piano centric in my late teens, early 20s. And like from there have grown into whatever I do today, which I'm not really sure what I do. But I saw that. <laughs> but that's It's interesting how kind of the past will your head on, you know. It's like, um, you know, I had a friend who just like lived and adored that book of uh, Dr. Seuss, the paths you'll take, you know. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, and it was just like <laughs> I always thought it was so corny, but like getting to know more people and like understanding how life just moves you along, you know, it's interesting to see how things really go it's really cool well isn't that a funny experience you as a kid you take a book like that and you go oh this is so cool and then you grow and you're like oh this is so corny right and then you grow and you're like oh this is so cool yeah <laughs> i hate waiting in line like not getting the concept as a kid and then it's like as you enter adulthood you're like the waiting room's terrible and it's everywhere <laughs> like, 
There's so many horrible periods in your life where you're just waiting, and I'm like, man, Dr. Seuss nailed that. <sighs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The perspective change, I think, is, is a yeah. big thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I love that book. <laughs> yeah, I originally wanted to be a, a lawyer. And so, like, I had, like, set myself up to do, like, pre-law, and I did, like, all these philosophy courses for a philosophy major. Mm-hmm. And... Man, I was going to be a philosophy major, too. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and I, I remember I loved, like, metaphysical philosophy, but then I was just like, man, you know, I was young, I had a family already, I was just like, man, do I, I, I don't want to be apart from my family that much, and... You know, yeah. half, my uncle is a litigator in, in Memphis. And so I was just like, ah, oh, man, he's always away. And whenever he's home, he's usually very grumpy. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be that person, you know? Totally. I mean, my kids might think I'm grumpy all the time now, but it might be worse if I was a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's, as It's so funny. I think back to my teen years and I was like the nerdy kid in high school reading like Immanuel Kant and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> and and now it's like with the art that I was making, especially in Reno, but also try to make continuing forward. Um, it's like a return to analytic philosophy and uh, metaphysical stuff. And oh, I don't know. It's it's kind of it feels yeah cyclical. Were you always kind of this this jazz person, or what was like your main musical draw? Like what brought you into music? I grew up in a family of musicians okay and so my desires to not go into music were founded around teenage rebellion <laughs> really my parents are, are professional musicians oh, my wow. dad is uh has a master's degree in conducting uh from lsu and oh nice yeah and uh and my mother or no he went to usl university of southern louisiana oh okay and my mother went to LSU and my dad was like, he conducted the Baton Rouge Symphony and did some stuff there and then cool. got the gig in North Carolina. And that's where I was. That's where oh, I was. okay. But, uh, but so my whole family's, you know, my mom's a clarinet player. My dad's a French horn player. My sister's a studio violinist in LA. And uh, my grandmother played the piano. My grandfather played the trombone. Wow. And, uh, That's cool. Yeah. And total classical family for the most part. My grandfather was like the black sheep that listened to like swing era jazz stuff. <laughs> but I didn't really listen to it very much. And that was my concept of jazz was yeah. listening to like audio tapes of vinyl of 1930s big band music. So I was right. like, oh, jazz is not a thing that relates to me. Right. Yeah. It relates to a time 80 years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about to go into my senior year of high school was when I heard a recording of modern jazz that I had, I didn't know modern jazz was a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the one. And it was literally an afternoon where I, I heard a recording and was like, this is a thing that I didn't know exists and I see it and I understand how it's working to some extent and I want to do it. And literally that day i was like i gotta learn how to play the piano i think wow and, uh, <laughs> i gotta start doing this yeah wow so, oh, that's cool it was uh yeah quite a change <laughs> <laughs> i i had a i had a buddy in high school 
that we wanted to go to Brown together and we were going to be roommates at Brown. And I mean, we were like preparing our interviews for Brown and, <laughs> and like, Devastated. I was just, I just hit him up and was like, Sean, peace. Thank See you, man. Have fun with your double major in math and whatever, <laughs> mechanical engineering. And, uh, and he went off and did it. And wow, he's doing his thing and he's very happy and successful with it, which I'm really glad about. But I just like, one day it was gone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's cool. I'm, I'm happy with it, but I, I was never the jazz guy. I was never the jazz guy. And so, so now that people, people that know me from my adult years that associate me with those things, it's like, part of me is like, Whoa, like, no, <laughs> you know, I Does was, that mean? That's <laughs> yeah. I was like the, the bar talk guy at most. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's cool. But, uh, Wagner operas and stuff but wow that's as that's as intense as I got until until uh or as modern as I got until uh that time wow so what kind of modern jazz were you like all Miles Davis or are you more modern than that uh very modern it was like an album this was 2006 and the album had come out in like 2004 I want to say okay and it was Robert Glasper who's known for more like uh neo soul hip hop kind of influences and plays with uh Bilal and uh people like that uh plays with uh Maxwell and Bilal and uh and um Yasin Bey who's known as Most Def um, Oh yeah and a bunch of guys like that and that's not at all the music that I play now <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it was a really great introduction and a, a kind of an awakening into like this is art music of the 21st century mm-hmm. yeah. it's being made right now by people right now you know this is my this is music that speaks to me because it's happening now and i'm happening now right you know so that was exciting and still is well, your like your comment about like not even knowing that you know there was modern jazz i find i feel like that's such a common theme especially in america it's like we just don't know and we're not aware of it we don't have a flourishing arts program to bring it to us i don't know if that's this is me just ripping on funding but (laughs) for sure it's it's kind of sad to like think like all these amazing things are happening right around the corner and i I feel like it's probably better with the internet now but it's like back in 2006 like it took forever to get a page to load on the internet so you just that wouldn't have been where you would have gone to look for that so and I'll I'll go even one further and and you can push me right off my soapbox if I if I get <laughs> no hop on <laughs> but uh, but isn't it amazing that I was seventeen I had spent seventeen years listening to music mm-hmm. all the time every day um, I tested into third year college theory wow uh, as a yeah. freshman in college because I had learned all this stuff throughout my youth and I had I had been in so many youth orchestras and been to so many music camps and this that and the other and I didn't know that modern black music existed because not just are the arts underfunded and underrepresented and things like that but take it a step further when you include race into this because Mm -hmm. black artists are not given the platforms that other artists are to this day and uh 
and it took me getting very lucky to even know that it existed. And that's, you know, that's a major, major issue. Yeah. And then of course, you know, we can go further and, and how do I fit into all that as a super white person? Right. <laughs> super white, super male, super hetero, super whatever, you know, I, yeah. I, I, you know, um, the last thing the world needs is another white guy expressing things, you know, <laughs> and, and explaining. really, I mean, truly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So that, that was a, that was something that I still grapple with, but something I definitely had to be like, okay, um, what am I doing? You know? I heard this black art. It was very inspiring to me. And now mm-hmm. I want to make art. And I think that the world should listen to me, mm. you know? Yeah. So it's still, still something I, you know, think about every day. Yeah. I've got to that even with classical. There's that, that ego that's like, who am I to put some stuff out for people? And then there's the con something that I'm currently learning is like, man, the world's a better place when all of us are doing our thing and playing our music and playing our art. And even if that's somebody else's original art form, I think, I don't know, I'm under, I'm one of those people that is like the world's, you know, it's, it's brighter when there's music out there and totally everyone's doing their thing. <laughs> yeah. Which but, is part yeah. of the reason that I, to this day, I would say the majority of the music that I've ever released has been under pseudonyms that I don't tell people about. So I put out more music under other people's names or, or not other people's names, but other names. And I've put out uh, more music that I haven't oh, wow. even told family or friends about than I've put out under my own name because I want to put it out there, but I don't want to, Yeah. I don't know. I, I it's don't, hard, yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to, to slap your name on something and live with, uh, not the consequences, but the mm-hmm the impact of that because like I said then suddenly with your name on it you're owning that and mm-hmm. you're responsible and I, for it yeah. um, is it and free I, to write under a pseudonym and yeah i mean i i just i just release it under various names on various platforms at various times uh, different projects and things like that um and i pay for the distribution and stuff but um, yeah but i i just do it i do it more i i've gotten better with um, the idea of like facing the consequences of putting something out um, in the sense that like I'm open to the criticism, but it's more of, I don't feel like I should be putting my white face forward all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put stuff out for me, but I don't promote it to friends and family or whoever, because um, it's just more important to me that it's out there than it is like important to me that people are listening to it. Yeah. But, yeah, no, that's a beautiful sentiment. So that's kind of a way that I've come to terms with, with some of that. Yeah. And then other stuff I feel like I can put out under my name and, you know, and own it in that way too, you know, but yeah. it's definitely me wanting to step carefully because yeah. there's a lot of history and there's a lot of um, pain and hurt and things that have been put forward into the world from people that look like me. So if I'm, right. music, I want to do it carefully. Yeah. So. Um, mm-hmm. if you are trying to say the right things to not get hate mail versus trying to say the right things to be respectful of others, mm-hmm. I think that reads pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and so I trust in that to some extent. I always listen, you know, I want to, 
I want to listen to others about, about these issues and about their experiences and things like that first and foremost. Oh yeah. But, uh, but when it comes to making my stuff, it's, it's kind of just a trust in, in my belief that my intentions will, will, you know, guide me. And, uh, and if I make a mistake, I'm also willing to own it. And I think that's something that is helpful too. If I say something on this podcast and someone has something to say about it, that, that, um, will guide me further, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll take it and, and I'll use the recording here as uh, a snapshot of where I was today and nothing more than that, because you can't do more than that with, uh, with it. I think that's a really good way to look at that is like, not an excuse by saying like, Oh, I'm human. You know, I make mistakes, but saying like, yeah, I will absolutely own up to that. And I have room to grow and thank you for calling me out on my bullshit. <laughs> yeah. For yeah. lack everyone, of a better word. <laughs> everyone has times of, everyone has bullshit. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Uh, and everyone has um, more to learn about stuff. And yeah. Some more than others. And I'm, you know, happy to, happy to own that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. That kind of went off into a, a heavy situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it should, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have those conversations though, and not just gloss over them because they're hard. But, yeah. I don't yeah. think it's, I don't think in, in, in 2020, I hate to say that like in 2020, this should be this way. Cause it should have been this way in oh, 1720. Yeah. Right. But, uh, <laughs> But in 2020, three white people talking about something and putting it out into the into the world should be talking about it and and getting as heavy as we can and, and then and then if it's the three of us and then I know you guys are talking to other people as well so um, I can be the white guy today and you'll have someone else on with a different voice yeah in a future episode and on a previous episode and things like that but um, but I think if it's the three of us we should be getting heavy and we should be talking about these things and, and talking about them um from our from our perspective so, yeah absolutely. i mean powerful <laughs> yeah good to talk about okay. so um i do remember one thing uh, especially when we were at reno things were blowing up with this idea of uh, meme music baseball game right i did it a couple times i think i did it with tommy lasorda ranting about kurt bavacqua <laughs> from the san diego padres um yeah uh i don't remember what he says there uh, he says uh we didn't he, oh he'd been accused of of telling his pitcher to throw at kurt bavacqua and uh he said kurt bavacqua is such a sorry ass hitter if I knew he was in the lineup, I would have driven the cocksucker to the ballpark in a stretch limousine or something like that. Uh, <laughs> some famous rant where he's yelling yeah, at the I... media after the game about the situation. And I felt like it was a good uh, one to trans- transcribe a little bit. 
So how did that, how do you go about doing that? Like, so I just took the audio and I slowed it down and I, uh, and I tried to listen for whatever pitch each, each syllable he's speaking is mm-hmm. at and match it on the keyboard. And I, I would just go through, I'm not as good at some of that stuff. Uh, like I'm not as good of a piano player to like play it in real time with it, but I would record it in and, and line everything up and do it more as a, as an engineer than anything. Um, and then I just threw some chords underneath as it went um, just to kind of mess with it. But I was, I was more interested in transcribing voice lines. Mm, okay. And I did that with, uh, I think Vin Scully's Kurt Gibson 88 home run call. I did a, my first grad recital was on October 15th and that's the day of the home run. Oh, so wow. I, cool. I did that for, for that recital. Um, and I did a few more Marshawn Lynch's yes interview. Where he just says <laughs> yes to everything. Or yeah. He says yeah. yeah. What did you, how did it feel uh, running for 88 yards after the game? All these stupid questions that people ask athletes after the game. Right. Yeah. He just says, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I noticed some of them were the same pitch and some of them weren't. So it was kind of fun to highlight that. <laughs> It's an ostinato, essentially, you know. So. Yeah. God, I need to listen to these. <laughs> I, I cannot even find them, to be honest. I no. looked for them. Yeah. I have to, I have to keep looking for them. But. Yes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, like, now they've got these people getting, like, super famous off of it, like Chris Cornwall, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, mm-hmm. that was that's what made him famous, you know? Two bros chilling in the hot tub. just dadaism like 90 years later right (laughs) it's just it's just that i mean so i just see it as a i see it as a very interesting time the last 20 years or so the last 15 years or so really um in the world Mm -hmm. um, artistically Mm -hmm. and i don't know what's going to come of of certain things I, i don't think being a composer musician is very proper profitable these days Things like that. Um, hence why I work 40 hours a week for a company. But, uh, same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, um, I don't know where those things are going to go, but I think we will be looking back at this time and writing about it as we do with all times. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I think in particular, we will be looking back at it and going, wow, that was a really interesting time, you know, to think back 20 years ago and, it I'm blue dava dee dava dies on the radio. <laughs> yes. And we're listening to it on the radio. Yeah. Oh god. We're listening to it on the radio. And yeah. And then we're going on Napster and LimeWire and downloading it. Right. Right. I think I have it on a now CD. It's like now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I would if anything, I would have gone to like Kmart and bought the CD yep. of it for like fifteen ninety nine or whatever, you know. 
Oh my god. Just to listen to that one track. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's like, God, I'm going to go dig up my CDs now. <laughs> and that was no time ago. That was a blink of an God. eye ago. And then now we're listening to people make music live on Twitch. We're listening to uh, music on Spotify, streaming lossless yeah. audio to our phones. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just a crazy 20 years. So I think uh, because of technology, especially um the response has been meme culture and things like that and i think it's something that should be discussed with some seriousness Mm -hmm. Um, i will always circle it back around to um black art and things like that and i think meme culture can can uh be problematic Mm -hmm. when the voices that we're listening to and the content we're we're taking in are from people that uh, have not gathered life experience enough to know what's appropriate and not, and to know how to speak about something inappropriately or not. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So problematic things have arisen and uh, and continue to arise. Uh, I don't know what the solution is for that, but um, but I think it's an interesting time for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Someone pointed out, or I read somewhere. And it was like something looking at like gifs or gifs. I never know how to pronounce mm-hmm. it, but somebody pointed out they're like, "No, you got to commit." Which one is it? I'm gonna say I like to say gifs, but that's me. <laughs> so I'm gonna okay. go with gifs. So like, them. that's cool. Someone pointed out to me they're like, "If you look for a gif on your phone, like you're not gonna see a lot of white people come up. You're gonna see a lot of black." And like, it broke my freaking brain. Like when you Google like like excited or something, like you get some person you know more likely than not you're gonna have people of color on there with expressions mm-hmm. versus people like white people on there and that just like it floored me and it like it, oh my god i've been the asshole sending these not even mm-hmm. thinking twice like i was about what me. i'm sending or what i'm seeing or what i'm taking in and like oh it just didn't mm-hmm. hurt like i was like I oh was... my god i have room to grow <laughs> totally i was in school studying black music and and in 2014 was you know participating in black lives matter marches for the first time 2015 whenever that mm-hmm. was ferguson mm-hmm. yeah. 2014 i think um and and feeling good about myself doing my part and blah 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 and then i would react to something with a, a gif of a black woman and yeah it's 21st century minstrelsy yeah oh absolutely mm-hmm. it's and blackface it's for us <laughs> and uh and um i i have seen the light since then but um but i'm definitely guilty of like thinking of what i would want to post and things like that and how to express those emotions and we go to these characters that we've created in our minds or we've seen in, in yeah. these gifts that have been passed around and things like that but it's mm-hmm. it's blackface all over again yeah oh, no it's so true it. so you know that's something that comes with the territory in some way i don't want to say that and be callous about it and say no. well, oh that just happens when it happens you know, but I do think it is a product to some extent of, of like modern technology being totally different than something that we've been used to before. Reaction gifts were not a thing 10 years ago. Right. You know, (laughs) so, um, so I think that happens and I think it happens as a result, um, in a serious way of like the patriarchy and of like white supremacy being so ingrained in everything we do in life that, Mm -hmm. that of course we go that way first, but, uh, but you know, I hope that things change with that. Yeah. And, and by 
by being a good example of that. I hope that's a way that I can help contribute to that. Um, but it's not, you know, if, if people, if white people stop sending black people reaction gifts, that doesn't mean, you know, that's not reparations. That's not yeah, like, right. that's not enough. Yes. So, absolutely. you know, yeah, oh, I, so many good things to think about and, and look at yourself in the mirror and have that like deep talk with yourself. Like, yeah, this is going on. This is happening. Okay. Well, how am I a part of this? What can I do moving forward? And, oh yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't have to come from a place of self hate. I don't, yeah, I don't self hate. I definitely don't. I'm happy with who I am and, and, and the privileged life I have, I'm aware of it, but I'm not, I don't feel guilty for it, but I do mm -hmm. feel responsibility for, uh, you know, changing what I can going forward and trying yeah. to tear down some of these systems and trying to, trying to rebuild. I mean, I, I cannot believe we've been talking for how long we've been talking and I haven't said the word capitalism yet, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for real, for real, for real. I don't know that an hour of my life goes by without me railing against capitalism, but, um, but I don't, it's not from a place of self-hate. And yeah. I, I want to say that because I think that's an important distinction to make because I think mm -hmm. other white people that hear white people talk about BLM and other things like that, uh, that we should all be talking about, but haven't had those conversations yet. They haven't had those experiences yet. And, mm -hmm. and we're trying to bring them to the table now because it mm -hmm. is the responsibility of white people to take responsibility and to educate and to, uh, and to, kind of corral other white people into listening to people of color and women and, and other minority groups and things like that, that have systemically been, um, you know, hurt by white patriarchy for so long. Mm -hmm. um, when we're talking in front of or to other white people that do not have the level of comfort that we have in talking about these things or the experience and having these tough conversations and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think it's, uh, I think it's important to draw the distinction of like, we're not asking you to self-hate, right? Yeah. We're asking you to educate and to yes. yourself and to, and to, uh, to listen and to, to grow and understand your, your place in all of this. Cause it's not where you thought it was. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I did uh, transcribe some stuff and remember how we talked about tangents and how we just kind of follow them <laughs> until we either end it or we're just like, okay. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I think uh, every good tangent should end with us talking about this stuff though. And yeah. also, you know, getting heavy on this stuff because it's, it's just the only thing we should be talking about. Right. Well, let's talk about another heavy subject. And let's talk about uh, politics and music. Mm -hmm. So um, a guy I like to watch on YouTube, Finn, or Flynn McKinty, uh, he does a lot of kind of, um, he dissects dark metal or even metal, plain and simple, into all its different genres. And he talks about the people who are good in it, who are bad in it, you know. Uh, and he recently had a post about... Uh, musicians and talking about politics so he talked about Rage Against the Machine and things oh I was like um, you gotta bring up RATM if you do this <laughs> right right you know and I mean 
no, I won't even bring up the the Trump people playing Rage Against the Machine, but um. dude, dude, that was like I'm like, do y'all know who Tom Morello and Zach De La Roche? I was a huge Rage fan back in the day, and I'm just like, do you even know what they're saying? Like, That's so funny. So you know, before. right? And um, you know, there's been a bit of a of a history, at least in classical music, um, you know, because that's a lot of what I'm really you know, educated on um, and raised on is a bit of political discourse in classical music from, you know, the magic flute or, you know, subtle things in Baroque music all the way up to even current composers like um, Thompson and the last seven words. So do you think it should be part of our musical discourse or, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure you do, but, um, uh, should we just stick to the, as I put it, the lifting the spirits of humanity, as some have said? I think lifting spirits is a, is a nice idea. And everyone needs rest and everyone needs all the rest. But uh, I think about the first time I went to Europe, I was 15. I was on tour with an orchestra from San Francisco uh, playing viola and we did a little i think it was like two weeks in italy austria czech republic germany um mostly italy austria czech republic uh, i think we just flew through germany but uh i don't remember all of it <laughs> but uh but regardless all over uh all over europe we would go to these cathedrals and they're massive and the first place we played in rome it was like this is where mozart's organ is and it's they point to it and there's some organ over there and it's the one that mozart played and and here's this giant wall made out of gold and it's got the apostles carved into it and there's this and there's that and i remember truly walking around while i'm 15 going wow, this is this wall is made out of gold? Wow, this is worth a lot of money. Man, if they just melted this down and like fought AIDS with it or something like that, man, they could do so much more good than, than they do. Right. <laughs> um, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I bring that up uh, not to be anti-religion, but rather to say the issue is, oh, my neighbor's dog. Um, (laughs) um, not to be anti-religion but rather to say that white westernism and uh and the classical world as we call it um comes with a lot of problematic history and part of i think part of exercising love for that that music um is being taking ownership over its over its history and recognizing the fault and and different things like that mm-hmm. and thus the music we should be making should come with that knowledge of the past the past and the history and the and the problematic elements of it and otherwise um so i personally find it pretty hard to make nice easy restful relaxing music um mm-hmm. in jazz or in other 
um, genres, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. If you call the stuff I make jazz or whatever, uh, a lot of people do. Um, because I feel like everything I put out there needs to be thoughtful and needs to recognize the places that this music has been and recognize the voice of the speaker in the moment. And, uh, and so how could I write something that's restful when, uh, when I have that history behind me? Right. Um, I do like music that is, is relaxing and restful and, and things like that and healing. I do believe in musicians as healers uh, and things like that. I do, I do see the place of that music. I do see the value in it, but I also, for me, right now, especially, I guess, this phase in my life, find it hard to make a lot of that stuff. Um, at least, uh, at least with my voice, you know. Um, so some music that I make is, uh, I like have put out a lot of minimalist music under pseudonyms, uh, and things like that. Um, and, uh, that stuff, I feel like maybe I can explore an idea a little more and some of that stuff can be viewed as relaxing or whatever, because it, it's minimalist music that takes place over a period of time and, and, and things like that. But, uh. I don't know. I'm getting off topic, but no, I, I find, uh, yeah, I find it hard to, to not talk about this stuff all the time because every time I'm not talking about it, I don't feel like I'm, I'm being responsible. Um, I think like music is such an expression. It's such a personal expression, especially when you're a composer or a performer, even a listener, cause you're, you're taking, you know, you're curating what you're listening to usually, but I think, I think there's always going to be room for that authenticity. I had a a, a professor in college, uh, whenever I composed, like it always came out like dark and sad. And he was like, well, you're generally a happy person. Like, why do you write this like sad, mopey, like traumatic, over romanticized stuff? And I'm like, I don't know. That's what feels right with my soul. That's like, I'm not, I was like, I don't always think the world's a happy place. And my, I like to express that in my music. And I'm not saying that people that can express that happy, calm thing is, you know, maybe that's their authentic self and the world certainly needs that music too. And I, I think there's room for all of it. And I think, I think as long as you're, you know, that authenticity speaks, you know, volumes um, about, you know, just out there expressing yourself and the world, we need authentic musicians. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, I can definitely appreciate people that make music that's happier or more relaxing or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I have made music like that before, but, um, yeah, I think it, it just all depends on how you make it and and what you're making it for intention again. Yeah. Yeah. I have a belief that I always tell students about that. I just, it's a general thing. Uh, but I just believe it to be like the very generalized kind of root of what good art means to me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've never found a piece of art that I consider to be good art that doesn't fall into these two descriptors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never found a piece of art that I would think of as bad art that accomplishes these two descriptors. And mm-hmm. those would be intention and clarity. 
clarity mm. being the execution of that intention. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be clear in its sound or whatever, but it has to be clear in its intention, its execution of that intention, right? Yeah, that's um, powerful. I like that. So to me, clarity and intention, I mean, I think that's the bottom line. And, and I think we should be talking about important stuff. But if you are moved to make art about something else, um, you know, if you're doing it genuinely, I think that will come through. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Personally, I don't think I've had trouble finding or like getting in touch with because mm-hmm. um, I know with Very Stable Genius, I wrote that originally I, I was writing music and I was trying to write other music and I just could not stop thinking about the ramifications of Donald Trump and mm-hmm. everything that he was doing and everything that he was saying and everything that he stands for and his voting base stand for. And, you know, this stuff was around before Donald Trump for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. this definitely shone a light on it that a lot of us white people did not see before uh, in such clear terms. And I was coming to terms with that in various ways. And uh, so I kept writing music or trying to write music and it would always, I'd be writing something and there'd be, you know, whether it's upbeat or whether it's whatever, or whether it's about whatever I was writing about, um, it would always make a turn and, and go right. towards my thoughts about, you know, what was going on. And so mm-hmm. I went with it and then I said, well, I'm going to, I also love the idea of making fun of this guy because he's his ego is such a guiding force in his life right that the the biggest thing we can do to say fuck you is to minimize him yeah in various ways the tiny hands thing that doesn't that doesn't matter because there are people that are families that are being separated at the border and police shooting unarmed black people and this that and the other so i don't care about his orange skin and his tiny hands but at the same time those are the things that piss him off and his base the most. So I understand when people want to go towards those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would write the song title down and then I would write the piece of music and the song title started as something funny. And then the piece of music would always wind up somewhere else. Um, So it, it didn't feel like it was a challenge to get personal with it, I guess, or to get genuine with it in some way, because if I let that stuff come out, it's just going to come out. So it, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't feel like I had to second guess it. I felt like I trusted it. And then during quarantine, I wrote another record that we're working on right now, and uh, it's about kind of an interpersonal journey. Um, it's about meditation and, uh, and stuff. But then it has to do with everything that's going on in the world. <laughs> right. You know, and, and through the lens of of my come through for sure 
Yeah. Music from the 1950s sounds very different than music from the 1970s. Sounds very different than music from the early 2000s. Yeah. And not well, just because of technology. Like yeah, yeah, I think I yeah. think you know bebop music in the 1940s is a is a product of of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Late 1940s, early 1950s, and then rock and roll comes out. You know. And we listen to Chuck Berry and people like that, and and mm-hmm. of course that music is coming about at that time. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah, my boyfriend and I the other day we were just talking about, or like, some '90s song came on, and I can't even for the life of me remember what '90s song it was. But we just went, oh, the '90s, and like, mm-hmm. it, it was just like, he was like, well, why don't you know we don't make music like that anymore? And I was like, yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't make music. Right. That. You can right. intentionally try to imitate that style, but I was like, it's not going to come out as organically as it did for them in that time period. So. Yeah. We're both like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking to my mom once, and she was like, oh, man, I really miss Nirvana, you know, in utero, and everything was just, like, so amazing. Like, we're huge Nirvana fans. And she's like, do you do you think they could still be around now? Like, if Kurt Cobain hadn't done what he'd done, you know, or whatever happened, and, you know, could what would Nirvana do about Trump, you know? I was like, no, it's it's completely different though, because like, would be, yeah, I'm like, it would <clears> be, it's not Nirvana, it's somebody else doing it now, or you know what I mean? Like, it's there, I imagine, but it's not ever going to be that same. And all respect to the guys in Nirvana, but they in another universe, if Kurt Cobain was still around, he could be making really shitty EDM right now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, like, let's be real. Like, there's like yeah. he could totally. I'm not discrediting him, and he yeah. can be making amazing music right now too. But we don't know. Mm-hmm. And times change, and people change. And I remember like feeling so sad that like Rage, you know, I was like, oh, I just want Rage Against the Machine to come back together with another album. And I was a huge Tom Morello fan, and he went on his own solo career. And he, I don't know if you've ever heard his voice, but it's like this super deep voice, and it's like doesn't like his I love his folk music and it's like it doesn't sound like him at all and it like it hit me one day and I was like rage will only exist in that time period and they come back today it's not ever going to be the same they don't have the same angst it's like blink 182 losing um Tom DeLonge it's like they don't have the same angst as they did in 2000 like they're different people now and well and you don't want another rage album you yeah, it'd probably be terrible. <laughs> you want to experience a Rage album for the first time again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I had a friend who just posted <laughs> be like, after so many years, System of a Down, just put a new album out. And I'm like, hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. hey, I, wow. I was a huge System of a Down fan, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to really hear like a... Like, uh, 40 years later, Hoobastank <laughs> or something, you know what I mean? I very much appreciate all that music. Yeah. Know, and it's time and place. Oh, we were talking about Britney, and I was like, because I was like, oh, I want to go see Britney Spears, and my boyfriend was like, it, you just can't listen to it, though, because it's not 2000, it doesn't make sense. And I was like, we're just going to go watch Britney dance, and then just appreciate the music for what it is. <laughs> I want to watch Britney Spears just like having a day I just want to see her like walking around right he's such an interesting person <laughs> I don't know I would love to see her show but I would be more interested in her like off stage 
Just follow her Instagram. Yeah. It's all on that. I was like, her Instagram is odd. But yeah, we could go down the whole free Britney wormhole. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so very stable genius. Like did, how, like, so you, you created that. And, um, you know, it's interesting that there are times when you're writing stuff and you really you're thinking about one way, you know, like this is how my music's going to go. And the next thing you know, if you just like follow the gut, you're like off on a different plane and you're so much happier with that, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it seemed to have garnered some at least attention, right? Yeah, I, I did a lot of work and got a lot of help in doing that work um, from the owner of Arunda Records, Dan Rosenblum, um, in promoting it and putting it out there. Um, I just kind of wanted to see what would happen if I like put my name on something and like shot it into the universe and like did it right, quote unquote, like the way you're supposed to do it in the sense of like putting out a press release and like the things that people tell you to do that are probably not relevant in 2019 or 2020 um, anymore, but I wanted to kind of experiment a little bit and, and try that out. So I sent out like. I don't know, 50, 60, 70 copies to like writers around the world and um, emailed a bunch of copies and submitted for blogs and submitted for other things like that. It's a modern jazz record. It was my first major release under my name. Um, and I got like four reviews <laughs> or something like <laughs> oh, 70. But I'm cool with that. Like I told myself, like if, if one person writes about it, or something like that. Even if they write about it unfavorably, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honored to have someone spend some time with my music. Like I, I really, that's all I ever need from music. I don't need a career in it. I don't need, yeah. Um, I don't need any success in it or anything like that. It's just if the thing I put out into the world does some good to for someone at some time, like cool. I hope much more that my actions in life, in outside of music do more for more people um, than my music does right it's just in me so I have to get it out but uh, but I don't care as much about that I was very happy with the things you mentioned jazztrail.net um, I submitted to them and they were very nice in their writing about it and everything very I appreciate the positive responses but um, you know I would I would be equally happy if someone was just like, yeah, this is like a noble attempt, but it sucks. <laughs> I, 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 I genuinely would because I, I just you know it's just about it's just about participating, right? Yeah. I mean, what's the old saying? Bad press is better than no press. Yeah, well, so. and, and, and just yeah, <laughs> and just getting to like make something with my friends, right? And and put it into the world and know that someone listened to it. I get. I get a text message every once in a while, every couple months, I'd say, or a month, maybe one a month, of like someone who's just like, "Yeah, I was listening to your record; it's great," or something like that, from a friend or a family member, or something like that. And it's just like, I truly like cannot process it. And it's like people are talk about when you talk to aspiring musicians about music, they talk about fame and riches and right top 100 and things like that and like a text message from someone who's like yeah I listened to your record one time 
even if they're like, I listened to your record, no comment. I'd be yeah. like, oh my god, this is the best thing ever. Like, I just, I'm, I'm truly just, if you spent some of your time on this earth with something that I made at all, like, I know how powerful music can be. Mm-hmm. I have had experiences where I listen to a record and like cry my eyes out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if you took the time to give my music a shot at making you cry your eyes out or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that's like the biggest honor in the world. I just like, I'm blown away. I don't even know what to say about it. So it's just like the fact that I get to participate in any way is just all I could ever want. And I, I don't have desires beyond that. I don't have desires to sell a thousand records or a million records or whatever. I don't have desires to do any of that stuff. I actually, one of my songs from that record got put on an official Spotify playlist. Oh, yeah? So I had like 33,000 people listen to my music in 2019. Wow. And I, like one person, one person listening to it, I like still can't wrap my mind around it. So I will never get to all 33,000. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. It's like, it's cool, but I'm just like, it, it, yeah, I don't know. It's just an honor to, to participate at all. Yeah, I feel so, that. Yeah. It's just, oh, awesome. it's always, I know I'm doing the right thing because every single day that I do it, I'm, I'm, at the peak of my um, life experience, I'm at the peak. Uh, I'm having a peak experience in my life where I'm blown away and honored, and and I don't know. The closest I've ever gotten to religion, or the closest I've ever gotten to spirituality, or anything like that, has been like through making art of various kinds. And any day that I get to do that at all is is totally cool. So. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Covered a lot of things under the sun, but I really enjoyed just going in depth with you and, and hearing your, your perspective on things and the humility behind your projects and just the, the careful curation and, and the thoughtfulness behind them. So that was, just, I don't know, it's just amazing to hear, like, as Bill was saying, just get to talk to people and hear all these amazing perspectives. So thanks. Thank <laughs> thanks you. For your story. <laughs> as I, as I was kind of saying before, it's, it's like an, an everlasting an ever fresh honor to, to participate in any way and to talk with other musicians to talk yeah. to anybody about this stuff it's uh it's always, always a joy yeah always a joy yeah so yeah thank you so much uh brian for being on and sharing talking to us about everything from you know your background and activism and music it's and uh the deep dives are just <laughs> yeah well it's inspiring too like yeah thanks so much for having it. me <laughs> really appreciate you being here Happy to be here. Thanks so much.
Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more. If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at soundsoftheworldpodcast at gmail.com. Well, Bill, I think I'm going to go have a beer now. Hey, there you go.